Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well. And for the first time in the 2024 Fantasy Footy preseason, we are back. It is so nice to have you on board as we chat through everything that's going to impact your 2024 Supercoach AFL Fantasy and Dream Team season. Whether it's classic, whether it's keeper leagues, whether it's single season drafts, we got plenty of stuff lined up for you. Not just on this episode, but right throughout your fantasy footy preseason for 2024. Talking all things fantasy football positions and joining me on this episode as he has right throughout the 2023 season and you'll hear plenty of him in 2024. It is Mini Mark. Hello, mate. How are you? Nice to see you again. Yeah, it's not too bad. Had a three-month hiatus and now we're back at it again. Back at it again. We're going to talk about all the positions. We've got the full list. We'll run you down. Who are the big gains and losses, especially relevant positions of the defensive line and the forward lines? Do want to touch on some rucks. And then, of course, there are some guys that have lost DPP, only available in the midfield. We'll make sure we cover them. But Mini Monk, on a recent YouTube video, I made this point when the AFL fixture came out. And I'm really keen on your take about this before we start looking line by line through the positions. There's normally a handful of variable factors that come in to helping us build our starting squad and the strategies that we implement early in the year. The fixtures, certainly one, we've got that locked away. The positions are another as of you know the past couple of days and now we're going to work you through this episode we've got them too but there are a couple of other critical variables that come into play that sometimes in the fantasy community we don't spend a lot of time talking about them so as you're heading into the start of 2024 what are some of these other variables that we're still needing to get before you can really start building some early season teams and strategies well, I think the obvious one is pricing, but I think a lot of people have started to figure out how the pricing works in a lot of formats. They can start to have a bit of a guess. But for the most people who don't want to do those deep dives, the pricing and when the formats open makes a huge deal as to when you're starting to build your team. But I think it's just the amount of information that's going to come out from clubs. You know, we've still got nearly four months until round zero, and then round one comes around. There's a lot that can change between then and now. There's role changes that could happen. Players get injured, news comes out, players switch trolls as well and we get a look at preseason games and some players that will play in round zero depending on how the formats come out so there's a lot of information to take in between now and when we actually have our final teams but we can start having an idea of players that we want to be scoping out based off of the positions and based off of you know how players have performed in the previous seasons and what role changes happen in the lighter part of the season it's more of a and more at this stage it's about ruling players out based on you know have they lost a really important positional status or are they priced way too high compared to what I would pay for them or are they going to be pushed out of a role that we would want them to be in for for fantasy purposes and then slowly building a list of to who you can actually look at and players that you want to consider going into that season so you can start to you know build a watch list so you can start to watch these players and be like they've actually got the role or they don't have the role let's let's monitor them but push them to the wayside for the time being. So at time of recording, the prices for any of the formats of Supercoach Dream Team and AFL Fantasy haven't been revealed just yet. Historically, they're anywhere from seven to 10 days of when the positions are announced that prices are. 
and then Dream Team and Supercoach again, just using history as a guide to give us some visibility about what might come forward for us. Then about a week after the positions come out, the team pickers of Supercoach and Dream Team are available for those that get the basically the assistant coach or the gold versions. AFL Fantasy, Minimark, it's been a little bit different year on year. We've sometimes seen them launch the format live and in full from mid-December, other times live and in full sort of mid to late January. We don't have any line of sight around that, but that's when when those games launch out. That's when we do find out those critical rules that you've alluded to about how the formats are going to handle, especially opening round and this bunch of buys that we get from round two through to round six. We know what the block of buys, how they're going to handle that through the middle of the year. We can pretty safely presume the option for an additional trade to be made and best 18. But the early season buys, let's not waste uh, word economy or brain economy on speculating about what might be. Let's rather deal in the facts. So that's what we know so far. Let's talk about the positions then, Minimunks, straight out of the gate. We have lost a couple of big top-line defenders, and we'll talk about them in a moment. But let's talk about who has defensive status and probably one of the biggest holds, albeit with DPP as a defender mid, is Nick Dacos. No real surprise that we're getting to retain him possibly for the final year, for the next few years, that we've got Nick Dacos available as a defender. Yeah, it could well be the last year that we have him for, you know, six, seven, eight seasons time, but he's going to be an expensive player to own. He's the highest averaging player in both Supercoach and in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team in 2023. He's nearly four points. He's over four points higher than the next highest averaging defender in AFL Fantasy and probably pretty similar in Supercoach as well. He's going to be a very polarizing player this preseason, I feel. Mm. You know, there's a lot of perks he's still a very young player we could be coming into a third season breakout we know he has a massive ceiling and we know he has a, a relatively lower price compared to what he has been able to perform it because he does have that injury affected game as his last game of 2023 season in, in the home and away season but there are cons to starting a player like him i mean you know is there another level that he can go to are we concerned about the early tag how do the formats deal with that buy so you know i, I expect his his line very, his uh, ownership be very similar to 2023 season where there's a lot of people that really want to start him. There's mm. a lot of people that don't want to start him and there's a few people in the middle who can be swayed either way depending on what we get during the preseason. Yeah, he's really going to define a lot of teams' early structures and strategies. You're right, so good last year. You can build a really easy narrative for why he should be once again the most or one of the most selected defenders in the premium area of the ground. And you can also build that case, that early buy round. We don't know how the formats handle it. The early probable tag of a Finn McGuinness inside the opening three or four weeks of the year. We know that the magic number, which ultimately is the variable that affects the pricing fluctuation of a player, is at its highest early in the year. So if a player has a low performing game early on in the year, and they're already up in that price range, okay, you might be able to jag 30, 50, 80, $100,000, depending on the format that you play cheaper. So he's a fascinating one for me. If we keep looking further down through the defensive line, Tom Stewart, James Sicily, Luke Ryan, Nick Newman, Jaden Short, Dan Houston. I don't think anyone's surprised. All these guys played almost exclusively defensive last year. So all of these guys maintain pure defensive status, while Harry Sheasel, Naziah Wanganeem Miller, Lockie Ash, Lockie Whitfield, and even Jason Johannesson all had DPP for us last year, but just pure defenders for us this year, Mini Monk. 
Yeah, it's a very interesting one. There's not that many defender mid DPPs coming into the 2024 season. He's got Dacos, and then you scroll down the list, and then the next one with DPP is Angus Brayshaw, who got a fair bit of a chunk of midfield towards the second half of the season when Oliver was out for Melbourne. And then it's really, really short. Like, you look at a lot of the DPP numbers compared to what we usually get. I mean, we, we had a lot of defender mid DPPs going into the start of the 2023 season. We looked at players like like Dawson, who had it. I think Doherty picked it up pretty early. Acos picked it up at some point during the season as well. And by the end of the season, we're running five out of our six on like on-field defenders with, with DPP status. And mm. this year, you're just not going to have that flexibility. And so, you know, maybe that's a bit of the appeal of Dacos as well, is that you will have that flexibility if you do need to pick up and move a defender out of your defensive line and into your midfield line for a couple of weeks. He provides that. But the fact that we've still got a lot of these players basically who only played as defenders makes it very interesting because there's a couple of players who had role changes through the season. The players I'm thinking of like someone like Nazia Wanganin Miller or, or a Hayden Young or even to an extent a Lucky Whitfield had a bit of a role change during the season yeah. as well. Those are the ones that you want to be looking at because it's not reflected in their positional status. But if you were watching those games and you're watching the players, you can actually pick up on the fact that they weren't playing the same role as they started in the season. And maybe there's room for upside because of that. Yeah, certainly is. A, probably a slight surprise for me of someone that didn't maintain DPP was a James, not a James, a Jack Sinclair. Mm. Uh, I, I was really quite certain that there was enough midfield time, both as a centre bounce midfielder and across the wing, not just at centre bounces, but through the game. I thought he might have maintained defensive mid. The positive for us, I suppose, is Mitty Monk. He's a defender. He's going to be right up in conversations again as a top-line option. Mitch Duncan's maintaining that backline status as he should. I'm not too sure if many will go near him in Classic unless we can get some early value out of him. Marcus Winderhag is an interesting one for me in drafts. Yeah. Um, they picked up a lot of rebounding sort of half-backs and some runners. Uh, through the most recent AFL draft. And he has shown that when he goes into the mids, he's not a bumper scorer, like 110, 120, but tackle pressure can get him to that 70s and 80s, probably for drafts more than anything, though, mini market. That probably just pops his value from being a super late pick as a bench to maybe you can take the punt on him as a, you know, around 13, 14, 15 sort of option. What's your take on Windhager? Yeah, I think there's a bit there, but... It's, it's, it's a very tricky one without actually seeing what the role is for Prius. And I think that's a lot. A lot of the mid prices tend to fall into a very similar category because of that. There's a lot of players that are coming coming into our defensive line with value and with that defender status. I think of someone like a Heath Chapman as well, or yeah. Zach Williams, who's coming off an injury discount, that have clear value based on what their output could be. But we just don't know until we actually see what they're doing during the preseason. Like if we start seeing Windhager lining up as a winger, then mm. it's like, it's a bit scary. But if you see, start seeing him rebounding off the half back line or lining up in an inside midfielder for center bounce rotations, then it's, you know, chips in. I want a piece of that. So I think a lot of those mid prices where they've picked up positional status, just really monitor them more than anything at this stage. Yeah, it's a good shout. Uh, last couple of defenders to talk about before we uh, head into the forward line. Uh, Elliot Yo maintains defensive mid. Uh, again, a, a very popular pick over a legacy period of time. Um, physically, his body's let him down to mean that people aren't really trusting him. But again, in drafts, 
keeping that defensive status at least means he's going to get picked up with the hope that you can pop three, four, five, eight weeks of scoring out of him before you move on. Joel Jeffrey is a defender forward. He picked up that after spending a little bit of time late in the back line, maybe a late flyer in drafts. Liam Baker is forever a defender forward and that's maintaining through there. And then Darcy Wilmot, I thought he might have been a defender mid for me, given how much time he spent on the wing, but not pure defender as well. So that's great news for draft leagues. He won't be classic or salary cap relevant for us this year, given he's not going to be at that basement price that he was. And he really didn't show that he's got the next level on him yet to start hitting that premium territories. But certainly in draft, it means he's going to get picked up. Before we head to the forwards, Mini Monk, any more defenders you want to highlight about maintaining or gaining defensive status? I think just really try and look for the rookies that have come in with a bit of defensive status and barring those, you know, having a look at who you might be stuffing your bench with at this stage. We don't have that many options down back who look like they could be fieldable, but someone who could be in consideration, someone like a Joel Hamling to fill a very Paddy McCartan type role from a couple of seasons back mm. should get fairly regular games and be around about a rookie price, but it's really hard to see where all these chips start to land until we actually get information from the preseason. Yeah, certainly is. Let's move to the complete opposite end of the ground. Let's go to the forwards. A mm. lot of lost, not a lot of gained. And yet, though, Mini Monk, we'll talk about some names in a moment. I love this challenge because you and I have both been playing this game a, a really long time. Some others that are listening to the coaches panel, it might just be the past couple of years, but recent trend has basically been you get top 10 midfielders available as forwards and while that might still pop through the dpp gains of 6 12 and 18 during the year the reality is we're starting the year with across the formats not one player currently available that's got an average of 100 plus so i think this is a great unique and new challenge which will create greater variance for us in our starting squads which i think is ultimately a good thing it's not even 100 it's not even 95 we have two players over 90, the Jack McRae and Dustin Martin. In AF and, and DT, yeah. In AF and DT. It's, it's, it's really dire in terms of what we've had compared to what we've got this year. And that's going to make the challenge really fun because you've got a lot of key forwards. Can you trust mm. them? You've got three players in the top 10 or 15 that play for the one team in the Western Bulldogs. <laughs> Can you trust Luke Beveridge at any stage? Or do you want to go for those hybrid type players that rotate between midfield and forward? I'm talking, you know, Dustin Martin, Toby Green, Shea Bolton, Sam Flanders. Is yeah. there one of those that you can actually trust? Because so much about players when we're picking our forwards, so much about them is the role that they've got. We want our forwards typically to be playing inside midfield. And there is a very real chance that most of the premiums that we pick for round one from our forward line won't be playing midfield time. Mm. And that's where the challenge starts to come in. So this is where you need to start to look at other things as well. You got to look at, have they proven that they can score in a midfield forward role? What's the run of games that they've got? Have they got a relatively softer matchups to start off with? Or have they got a relatively tough run? And where are your options to, to move to? Like if you have a player that you really like and they have a poor couple of first couple of games, where are you moving to? Like, what's the player that you can move down to? Is there someone that tickles your fancy? Are there some mid prices that have a lot of upside that you can move into? 
And it's just this whole jigsaw that's going to take a lot of time to figure out because I think that this is the line that people are going to do a lot of tinkering with. So last year, people were starting with four, even up to five premium mm. forwards. It was the Canelio, Butters, Rosie, Goulden, Dunkley, Taranto. By the way, all these guys are just available as pure midfielders this year. And so if people maintain that strategy and bring it over this is one of the things that i often see as a mistake that people make in the community even good coaches make is this strategy worked for me last year i'm just going to copy and paste it and mm -hmm. don't take the new year the new challenges the new positions the new things that can come for us and go that's it i'll go and get a Bailey Smith, a Jackson McRae, I'll go and get a Dustin Martin, I'll go and get a Dylan Moore. That's it. These guys are top 10 forwards and maybe they will be, and they've all got forward status, but the reality is it's not like it used to be three, four, five years ago of the positions are set for the year, is we will get at some point during the year, Mini Monk, some really good options. Previous years, we've seen Libba, Bont, Parker, Smith, McRae picked it up last year. The year prior, Josh Kelly was the only way I was getting him into the podcast. <laughs> but we see this every single year, don't we? Where very relevant guys have it one or two weeks early in the season, a lot of forward time. They pick up that status because it's the lowest variable amount of time to have. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. we've got some big line options. So I'm, I'm with you. I can see a lot of people doing some I don't know if damage is the right word. That might be a little too over the top of a phrase to make, but mm. making in uninformed decisions based on previous year's data to go, this is my team. And like you said, doing a lot of tinkering. Yeah. And, and, and it's not many years where you lose all of those top line players from the previous season. Like all of the players that were in consideration for your top six forwards, they're all gone. You <laughs> don't, you cannot pick them as a forward this year. It's, it's just, you've got to go back to the bare bones. You've got to think, where are the players that I can pick that could be top six forwards and waiting for those DPPs to come in because they will come. Hmm. It might not be as many as we've had in previous seasons. It might only be two or three that we get, but when they come quite often, they become entirely relevant. They dictate how your forward line gets structured because of them. Because if they're all, you know, round 15 by players and all of a sudden you've got six of your forwards that are round 15 by players, that becomes a problem. So trying to have a bit of a forecast as to where they might come is also really useful. I mean, typically they've came from the Western Bulldogs in the past. <laughs> the fact that we have Daniel Smith and McRae as forwards already this year means that that's probably not the case. So where are they going to come from? Big question. Let's find out that information during the preseason. It's a really good challenge. And the fun thing about those three Bulldogs that you mentioned, you can build a really compelling case that McRae can go back to a 120 guy in Supercoach and a 110 guy in AF and mm. be the best scorer in the whole freaking game, not just in the forward line. Bailey Smith has shown us over a six to 15 game stretch over a few years. He's got 105, 110, 115 capacity in him. Caleb Daniel's shown us he's a regular 90 plus guy in AF and can go that 100 market in Supercoach. Then we keep dropping down that next tier and lay. You've got these sometimes forwards, sometimes mids, the Isaac Heaney's, the Boltons, the Dusties. You've got the modern day kind of mobile forward, not a key forward, but you've got your Dylan Moores and your Isaac Heaney's that can roll through that spot that get interesting. Ajay Caldwell's maintained mid-forward status. Well, I don't think classic owners will take a lot of look into that. We will see some draft owners do that. Sam Flanders was amazing at the back end of the year. Mid-forward maintains, but 
What's his role? What does Dimmer do? We're going to spend a lot of preseason talking about Sam Flanders and the Suns game style in general. And then somebody that did pick up DPP last year has had a club change. And I think if he gets through the preseason unscathed, you could genuinely build a really compelling case that Taylor Adams will be one of the most relevant and most highly owned forwards given he's shown in his history, one team capacity when he's a pure mid and fit. Hmm. There's, there's a lot of interest in players like Taylor Adams and Sam Flanders based on what people have seen in the pre or what people have seen in the previous season and what they expect in a forecasting to happen in 2024. And yes, there's going to be massive monitors on those players. But if you look at tier down, there's also monitors and other people that could potentially get role changes as well. Like one that springs to mind very quickly is someone like Riley Philthorpe. There's talk that he's going to get ruck time. And if he gets ruck time as someone who's got that forward status, he could pick up the DPP, gets access to hit outs. There's a world where he boosts his average by 15 points. You've got someone like Luke Jackson, who's in the top 10 for, for um, averages in Supercoach and Fantasy and Dream Team. Is there a world where you could start in? Well, maybe if someone like Sean Darcy gets injured, that could happen. Or if the reverse happens and Jackson gets injured, suddenly Darcy becomes prominent in your rock line. But there is so much to play out between now and then. And there's so many players that you need to keep on your watch list. Like you look at the early fixes and you think, right, Charlie Kernow has Richmond in round one on the Thursday mm. night. What if he kicks six or seven goals and goes 130? And you've got the vice captaincy on him for that week as well. Like, amazing. You're absolutely dreaming it, something like that. Or, you know, other key forwards that could do a similar thing. Like, Jeremy Cameron's been a, he started the 2023 season going at nearly 100. He was, he was the top averaging forward, I think, in Supercoach for a few weeks. And he was yeah. right in the mix of top six in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team as well. This is the year where if you're going to take a fly at some forwards, why not consider some key forwards? Like there are there are ones that we can trust coming into this season. If they've got the fixtures, why not have a stab at someone like that? Yeah, I think it's a really good shout. And then you've got the breakout guys underneath that, like a, a Josh Rochelle, who mm. has shown that, okay, he can go on runs of 80s for five or six weeks. Can he do it for eight to 10 weeks and get you to that first DPP stretch along the way if he picks up some midfield time? So I, I love um, that the formats have given us now, not just these mulligan, easy picks. You've got a top 10 yeah. midfielder, let alone a forward. It's going to create diversity through our forward lines. I think our rucks are going to be incredibly diverse this year. Uh, mm. Backs, I think there's oh, going yeah. to be a little bit. And then midfield, we'll get to that in a second. Oh. You could genuinely build a case that there's 25 to 30 guys that could be top 10 mids this year. And I can't recall a time, certainly over the past three to five years, where it was that diverse a range of the top line options. If you want to drop down just to the bottom level of some maybe more keeper relevant sort of options or deep drafts, you've got an Elijah Sardis who's picked up mid forward mm. status. So is an Elijah Hewitt, Jai Cully. I know he's coming back off uh, ACL, but these are all guys that if they were just pure mids, you're probably completely fading the mini monk, but now that they've got at least something that, okay, a 70 as a mid doesn't do a lot for you in a draft, but a 70 as a forward in what's already a fairly thin top line of forwards. Okay. Now we've got some relevance with some of these guys picking it up. Yeah. I mean, you talk about key beliefs. I think even just single season drafting is going to be super, super difficult this season for forward lines specifically. I mean, you look at that fall away after, you know, McRae, Dusty, Kerno types, Flanders, Daniel, like 
it doesn't take long before you're looking at the Dregs in the 70s. You've got players like Mitch Owens, Neil Bullen, Dixon, Lukosius. These are players that you really struggle to justify putting onto field week after week. So you are going to start to look for some of those late flyers. Like you look for players that have the ability to move into that midfield and pick up time in there. Or you look for players where there is actually a role for them to be able to take them, take that next step. Like you'd mentioned someone like Rochelle, Rochelle, he had that midfield time for a lot of last season, fell away towards the second half of the season, but who's to say that doesn't come back? Being a Freo fan, the one that comes to mind for me immediately is Tom Emmett. Lockie yeah. Schultz has moved out of that forward line, gone to Collingwood. The, the ready raid replacement in my eyes is someone like him, and he's shown in his two games that he has pretty good scoring build. He's someone you could take a light flat at. What happens to someone like Lipinski in that Collingwood forward line as well with that change? What happens to someone like Perkins or what happens to Sardis? As you say, does he get that midfield clock? Because if mm. he does, he's a player who really can score and he's going to be tucked away quite low down the list. So yeah. there's a lot of value hunt to be happening, not just in your salary cap performance, but in your keeper leagues and in your single season drafts as well. Yeah, it's very, very true. You alluded to a Luke Jackson there as we head into the rucks. Really the only probably relevant mm. DPP ruck forward we've got for for classic anyway. Certainly in drafts, there's a couple of guys a little bit later on that if you're looking to do some more handcuffing, then maybe you could build that narrative. A popular player over the past two years with the absence of Brody Grundy has been Darcy Cameron as a ruck forward. He's available as a pure ruckman this year. Mason Cox is that ruck forward. So if you want to do a little bit of handcuffing strategy in your drafts, that's the approach. Mark Blixarves um, is a mid-ruck, which is one of the most unique and actually supremely valuable DPPs mm. you can get in a draft format. There was some hope amongst the community that Gorn, Grundy, Goldstein or Cherry, one of the former Melbourne and North Melbourne kind of quad rucks that at least one of the four might pick up ruck forward status. That is not the case. They are all pure rucks. And what we do in this ruck line anyway is in incredibly fascinating to me mini monk we've done some videos over the off season talking about some of the ruck movements over on our youtube channel just starting to do a lot more videos heading into the 2024 season and made numerous comments there already that it does feel like last year it was marshall and english and pretty much any other combination this is exaggerative but probably fair probably was a failure i know it's hyperbole to prove a point but um, this year, you could build a case that there's a combination of 10 to 15 options that you could go for that this ruck line, much like the forwards, this is going to be a great bit of diversity as we head into the start of the season. You look down the list and you look at all these players and you're thinking, geez, there's a lot of them that I would consider for my starting squad. Like you look at the top line, you've got English and Marshall. I mean, if you just want to go set and forget, then by all means, they are going to be good options. They have shown that they can score at the level of our top line midfielders, they were the number one and number three scoring players in AFL fantasy in 2023, mm. which is ridiculous. Um, and then you move down the list. You've got Nan Curvis. There's no Soldo now. Could he be a 105 guy? Potentially. Sean Darcy, if something happens to Jackson, you've got Kieran Briggs, who's basically got a mantle on that ruck for himself now. Max Gorn and Brody Grundy are both now going to be this lead ruckman at their respective clubs. Yeah. Who would have thought that they could both be entirely relevant? And it's not a set and forget type situation. They both present 10 to 15 points of upside across the formats. Jared Witts has shown that he can match it with the top line as well. You know, you keep moving down the list. Ivan Soldo and um, 
sweet. It's going to be a very tricky combination as to who actually gets that ruck time yeah. at Port Adelaide because if it's both of them, it's a bit scary. But if it's one of them that gets the lead ruck, then geez, both have different levels of value. Yeah, absolutely, they do. And even in that mid tier range, like we're talking about someone like Tristan Cherry, like he's lost forward status, he's not relevant anymore. People started last season with him, and you know he got injured in round one. But if he didn't get injured in round one, there's a world where it doesn't become an English and Marshall one-two. If you didn't start them, you're out of the pack. There's a world yeah. where Tristan Cherry was the starting pick to pair alongside with one of them. And then that was the cash generation and points on field that made the difference. And I think there's a big conversation that needs to be had in the ruck line this year as to well, what's your bailout option? Because someone like Cherry was a great pick, but if you pick him again this season and he gets injured in round one, heaven forbid, mm. do you know what your bailout option is this year? Do you want to go someone like a Jordan Sweet down off that? Do you have enough faith in someone like, a, I don't know, Samson Ryan, heaven forbid, or, or, or Mason Cox? Like, are you really going to go down mm. to someone like that as your bailout option? Or do you just trust that Cherry is going to be good enough and that if it happens, it happens? These yeah. are these are the really interesting conversations that Rockland, because I think it dictates how you structure up more than anything this season. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, for those of you that are thinking about what your R3 strategy might look like, uh, good news, Max Heath is Max still, Heath. <laughs> uh, is still a ruck forward. So uh, he can be your run if you're really looking for someone through there. Honestly, your R3, it, the fixture informs that as much as anything yeah. else, uh, as well as the DPP options. So go and do some analysis. That'll come through you from us as we get deeper into 2024 preseason. Uh, let's wrap up and look at the midfielders. We've already alluded to a number of guys that have lost positional status. The top line forwards, Cornelio, Rosie and Butters, Goulden, Taranto, Dunkley. I, I don't know about you, Mini Mike, but there wasn't a world where any of these boys were ever going to ha- hold on to forward status, was there? Absolutely not. I mean, you only had to watch a couple of them, a couple of games for them in the season. You can see they're playing 60, 70, 80% CBAs. And, and when you start to get into that number, there's no way you're ever going to get DPP. And, you know, there's a blessing and a curse from that. You don't have the easy picks, but everyone's in the same boat. So it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, exactly right. Some popular kind of stepping stone guys or mid-price or breakout candidates, depending on the theme you like to call them. Jason Horn, Francis, Ben Hobbs, Taran Thomas, all were relevant at various times during mm. last season. All of them are pure midfielders alone. Uh, there was some thought that maybe a Christian Petrarca or Sam Walsh, if you look at the season in totality, might have done enough to pick up forward status. We had Fantasy Freako, which is the social media channel of X or Twitter, um, that's behind uh, Champion Data, who ultimately inform all the formats of their positions, let us know that it was within 3% of CP5 picking up forward status. A- again, another close miss, but someone that we talk about possible forward gains, and we'll get to more in a moment during the year. CP5's mm. always that kind of player, isn't he, Minimark, that Petrarca at any time could pick up DPP with a couple of weeks of luck. And it might have just been the Oliver injury that was the difference for him. The fact that Oliver was out for such a long period of time meant that he had to play in that midfield. And it was part of the reason why Angus Brasher also picked up that midfield DPP and retains it into 2024 as well. They had to have some bigger bodies, some strong men go into that midfield and, and cover for that loss. And if Oliver stays fit, stays healthy, there's every chance that Petrarca is the highest averaging forward going into this season. And a lot of people, are really considering him for this but I think you still need to be able to consider him coming into the season anyways and you you alluded to other players that can pick up DPP I think he's 
at the forefront of a player that can pick up DPP, if you move down the list, other players that you consider, like we talk about the Bevo factor and, and Bulldogs players potentially moving out of the midfield and into the forward line. The one that comes to mind immediately is actually Adam Trelaw because I don't see Bontempelli mm. moving out of there. No. You keep moving down that list as well. Someone like a Stephen Canelio as they start to blood some GWS midfielders in. Uh, it's, it, but it, there's not as many as what we typically would see. Like normally yeah. you go into a season where you think there's maybe four, five, six players that you can see picking it up. There might only be three or four that pick it up between both this round six and round 12 DPPs that become relevant for us. Yeah, we might get lucky with the danger field again. Whether or not he's relevant is yeah. a whole different conversation. Luke Parker is another that if Sydney try to get this balance of a Mills if he's back fit, Warner, Goulden, Taylor Adams, does Parker become the one that fades out of there? He's always shown he's really damaging in that forward line and has picked it up as recent as two seasons ago. So it's really interesting, as you alluded to, about who might pick it up. Um, let's talk quickly about some defenders that have lost mm. positional status. But I don't know, at least in the case of one of the 3D that have lost defensive status, it doesn't mean they lose relevance. Will Day, again, no surprise, pretty much played as a pure mid with the exception of a couple of games off half back last year. He's a pure mid. Sam Doherty, I don't think many would ever thought he'd ever lose it over his career, but has mm. really established himself as a, a nice option through the midfield as a centre bounce and a wingman. And they've got guys like Newman has jumped on board, Saad, who they draft, uh, traded in for a couple of weeks, and a Zach Williams, who will present some value for us early in the year if he can get fit, is one of the three reasons why Doherty's there. But I suppose Jordan Dawson's probably the one we wanted to allude to a little bit. Best defender last year for us, pretty much um, across the formats. He was yeah. excellent, pure mid, but just because he's a pure mid doesn't mean he's irrelevant in 2024. No, absolutely not. And as Adelaide starts to develop as a team, there's every chance that he does start to push a bit further back again. And he is one of those types of players that you could see picking up DPP through the season. I know we were talking about the forwards, but there are a few players that can still pick up defensive status. I think he's one of them. I think another one that screams out is someone like a Scott Pendlebury as they start to transition Dacos into the midfield and they need someone yeah. to move out. But even if he just maintains a midfield status, by average in AFL fantasy, he's M3. I think in Supercoach, he's probably about the same as well. And the two names that are ahead of him on average are Clayton Oliver and Marcus Bontempelli. These are no slouches in terms of their form. These are no slouches in terms of the quality of players. He beats out players like Goulden, Merritt, Brayshaw, Green, Sarong, Petrarca, Rosie, by a fair wow. chunk as well. And there's no reason why he can't continue to get better because... You have to remember, he only moved into that midfield a couple of seasons ago. Mm. He's still learning to nail his craft. He's still a fantastic player. He hits all the stat lines. He does everything around the ground. Yes, he's going to get the occasional tag, but he's a big enough body that he breaks through them. We saw yeah. it on two or three occasions during the 2023 season that he was actually able to beat tags and still get two tons. And players that can do that and fill all the stat line, these are the types of players that can be a top eight midfielder no matter what. And, and that's where I see him. Like, it's very hard to, to make an argument that Dawson will not be a top eight midfielder in 2024 across the formats. Yep. Oh, I think that's really fair. So uh, not as many big gains as what we may have seen over historical mm. seasons. 
No surprise that there's a lot of big losses at the top of our forward lines and a couple at the top of the back lines. But I think what we've got for us now, without the positions, without knowing exactly how the formats are going to handle this early challenging six-week block that the AFL have dealt the fantasy formats, is what we do now know is enough that we can start to draw some some initial threads. Uh, mm. Not enough to build full strategies and structures and even build teams that we feel really confident in heading into March but it's another one of those nice little steps for us Minima as we get towards the start of the preseason yeah it really is and and, it, and a, a wise word of warning is to not ignore those players that have lost that DPP you know players that are just mid only and we just talked about Jordan Dawson but even players like Goulden, Taranto, Rosie, Butters these players still present value potentially mm. they can still be top eight midfielders they have the potential to pick up DPP and they are players that will be relevant coming into the 2024 season. So don't just discount the fact that, because we've seen it happen recently, yeah. players like, you know, Jordan Dawson is one obviously now, but Rory Laird's lost it in the past. Callum Mills has lost it in the past. Josh Dunkley has lost it in the past and then picked it back up again. Marcus mm. Bentapelli has lost it in the past and then picked it back up again. These are players that can be relevant through the season, even if it's not just round one. So you need to monitor their preseason and you need to monitor them through the season as well. Some really good advice, Mini Monk. Hey, it's been a pleasure to have you back on board this episode and look forward to chatting to you and various other members of the coaches panel throughout the preseason as we head towards the formats opening and the year and the preseason really getting underway. It's good to be back on and good to be able to appreciate the hair once again. Oh, they couldn't get through one episode without it. And of course, because now we're doing videos, people can actually see it uh, as well. So, yep, if you want to go and follow us uh, and find all the video content that we're giving you the preseason, uh, all the links for that, as well as all our website, our Patreon, and all of the other social media channels you can find in the description of this video. And so what's to come from the coaches panel in 2024? Well, Here's the good news. Once the prices drop, we'll let you know about that as well across the formats. But really, we're gearing up for January 1. That is when the 50 most relevant gets underway. 50 articles, 50 audio podcasts, 50 video podcasts over the first 50 days of the season telling you who I think are the most relevant players across Supercoach, AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. You'll be joined by various members of the coaches panel and other content creators of the fantasy community ultimately to have a conversation about who are the players that are going to shape our seasons for 2024. If you want to get early access to those, our Patreons, get the audio podcast 24 hours ahead. And like I said, if you want to jump in early, you can get that now when it launches anyway, but you can get the other ones early if you really want to by clicking on those links. In fact, our Patreons, all tiers and Spotify subscribers have been getting the other off-season content that's been dropping. Kane and myself have been going through our top 50 Keeper ranks. Yes, we like the number 50 here. If you've not figured that out, it might be our favorite. We've tiered them out into eight tiers. We've got three tiers left to go at time of recording, and it's getting very interesting in that. So if you love keepers, all the details for how you can get that you can find in the description of this episode. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you. We are so excited that the start of the 2024 season is not too far away, and we can't wait to do it with you. Yeah.